0: You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com.
1: Okay, class, take your seats. I said take your seats. Class, sit. I swear you're all acting like a bunch of animals. Pet Life Radio presents Teacher's Pet, where you'll learn how to understand and communicate with your pet and train them to be the best pet they can be. It's time to see the world from your pet's point of view, so give a tail wagging welcome to your Teacher's Pet host on PetLifeRadio.com. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Hi, welcome to Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. This is
0: Pia Silvani, Director of Training and Behavior at St. Hubert's Animal Welfare Center in Madison, New Jersey, and your host. I would like to welcome back our very special guest, Dr. Alice Moon Finelli. If you haven't listened to part one of this interview, please refer back to last week's session entitled Much Ado About Dominance. As you know, Dr. Moon specializes in ethology and animal behavior genetics at Tufts University. Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine and is internationally known for her expertise in animal behavior. She sees cases at Tufts University Behavior Clinic in Massachusetts. If you're not close to Tufts, you still are lucky. Dr. Moon conducts pet faxes and consults with pet owners around the country as a result. Today, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Moon about dominance in dogs and the problems that may arise as a result of us focusing far too much on dominance and placing a label on the dog as being dominant. So, before we chat, uh, let's take a short break to hear from our sponsors.
1: Be right back. Okay, class, grab your tuna flakes, biscuits, and bones. Teacher's Pet will be back in two shakes of a tail right after recess.
0: Only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com.
1: Okay, class, hang up your collars and leashes. Teacher's pet is back in session. Now park yourselves on the floor. I said park, not bark. Oh, okay. Teacher's pet. Pay attention. There may be a quiz later. Welcome back. This is
0: Pia Silvani, host of Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. I would like to welcome back Dr. Alice Moonfinelli from Tufts University. Thanks for joining us again, Alice. Thanks for having me, Pia. Uh, last week, if you recall, we discussed the differences in wolves and dogs, and we talked about some of the myths about dominance and the problems of putting labels on them and how owners interact with them. I thought this week we might want to focus a little on dog owner relationships and what to consider and not to consider when dealing with your dog. Um, so let's start off uh, first about, is there a negative impact on dog training and training philosophies when owners are told about dominance and alpha and the use of all those words? And what techniques are, are you finding that can be quite dangerous um, in today's society?
2: Once owners start thinking about being dominant with their dogs um, and using the techniques like the alpha roll and grabbing the muzzle and staring uh, directly into the dog's eyes for prolonged periods of time, what they're really doing is they're really intimidating their dog and they're making the dog fearful of them. And if they persist in that, and if they persisted in a consistent manner with the right dog, they might get by with it. Mm -hmm. But using those techniques... And using them inconsistently creates conflict for the dog, which makes the dog fearful and can trigger the dog to be aggressive towards the owner. And it has nothing to do about being dominant. It's about self-defense.
0: And can't that carry over to outsiders? How many times have you had a client come in um, when they have tried to become dominant over their dogs by doing stare-downs? And then... We can't, as strangers, even look into the dog's eyes because the dog, who knows what he's anticipating, is the result.
2: Those would be, in my clinical experience, kind of extreme cases. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the time, the dogs that I see that are biting the owners, much to the chagrin of the owners, are perfectly lovely with strangers because the strangers haven't (laughs) aggravated them. Yeah, yeah. But certainly with the dog that tends to be timid to begin with, If it's harshly handled in the home, and harshly handled not because the owners mean to do that, but because they've been misinformed, those dogs would have the potential to then generalize to other people, non-family members, that they might not be uh, trusted as well.
0: Right, right.
2: More often than not, the dogs that are biting their owners are just lovely pets every stranger that they meet.
0: I find the same thing. I was working with a client recently where they could not take a bone away from the dog, for example, and I went over and I had no problem taking the
2: bone away. Exactly. Once, so
0: it didn't carry over.
2: They'll often, uh, when the dogs come into the clinic, I'll often put toys down for them because, you know, we're I'm chatting with the owner for and watching the dog for an hour and a half to two hours and so he wanted the dog to be occupied, and many of them will just be aghast when I start putting these toys on. Oh, you'll never get him away from it. I say, eh, not to worry. Right. He, <laughs> he, he doesn't have a relationship with me. He doesn't care. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we don't have a history of conflict. Exactly.
0: Well, speaking of conflict, you and I have talked about communication breakdown many times before between owners and dogs that result in conflict for, for both parties. And can you expand upon that a little more for our
2: audience? That is the primary problem. These dogs are confused and because of the inconsistent manner in which the owners interact with them, but also a lot of these dogs don't really communicate. The owners don't communicate with their dogs. Good owners will work very hard with their dog the first year, and they are so pleased that their dog automatically sits for food or before it goes out the door or before it gets a toy, whatever, and then they give up on the training because their dog is trained mm. well training training is training, but training is also about communication, and so when you stop training, you stop communicating and then the the um it's sort of like a couple that's been married you know for a quarter of a century. you just know what each other's going to do, and you don't really talk about it, and the dinner conversation goes kind of gets kind of lax and Next thing you know, the relationship is really faltering. The same thing can happen with our dogs if we just work with them that first year during the puppy stages, and you know, get the basics down and then leave it at that. You need to be communicating on a daily basis. That's, you've got a dog for a companion. What do you mm. do with companions? You communicate with them, but we often don't with our dogs because we're too busy.
0: And that's a great point because when you think about it, any relationship, and I like that you brought up the marriage, any relationship, I mean, it's going to have ups and downs, but a relationship is about communicating. So I think people forget that they have a relationship with their dog. So when they stop communicating or stop the training, it's like two people that are sitting at the dinner table and not talking.
2: Right. The relationship deteriorates. Yeah. And depending on the personalities involved, it can get ugly. hmm Or it can be just very passive and you just, you know, pass like ships in the night. Right. But, But if it's, um, you know, if your husband is a border collie and you're not talking to him, it might get ugly. (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) And the sniping starts. (laughs) (laughs) And they start looking for other things to do. They start roaming. They start stealing. They start doing all kinds of things because they're dogs and they have emotions and they are social creatures and they need social interaction.
0: Good, good point. Many trainers believe that, Nothing should come free to dogs, or they need to earn everything in life. And it was, I believe, originally proposed to increase social status of the owner and the dog-human hierarchy, so-called. Well, this might be beneficial in certain situations, do you feel that there are problems with
2: this, and what might they be? I like the Nothing in Life is Free program, but not for the reasons it was originally designed. I When I started at Tufts 15 years ago, uh, you know, I was told and learned about the Nothing in Life is Free program and that it would increase the owner's status with the dog and that that the program, the program is actually, we should explain that, I suppose, that the dog has to follow a command set only once before it gets any resource it needs or wants. And if it doesn't follow the command, then the resource goes away. And that was reported to make the owner the alpha because the owner had priority access to the resources and the owner could determine whether or not it was going to give the dog um, the resource. Well, you know, at, the, at that point in time, I'd just come off of studying wolf behavior for, for some 20 years and watching wolves and hadn't been around domestic dogs and a long time and thought, well, yeah, that makes sense. When I, when I first started my graduate career, Dr. Benson Ginsburg, my advisor, said to me, he said, whatever you do, don't treat wolves like domestic dogs because they won't take it. You don't mm. jerk them around and, and do this. And basically what he told us to do was nothing like his free program, even though it didn't have a name then. You know, you walk by and if Scaramouche doesn't go to the back of the run, we had some ambassador wolves in, in the kennel um, for people who you know, wanted to see the wolves so they'd leave our our pack alone. And if Scaramouche doesn't go to the back of the run, well, then you walk by and he doesn't eat. Don't go in there. Interesting. so it was a very similar concept that I could embrace very quickly. Well, when I got my new guinea singing dog pup, I knew he was going to be a a handful. And I put him on a Nothing Life is Free program at eight weeks. And you can start that early. And I had always wondered why my owners quit at They'd stick with it for two months and then they'd stop. Mm -hmm. And I did all the standard obedience stuff with him. And at the time he was 16 weeks old, I'd stopped because he was automatically sitting. He was being very polite Uh and didn't think much about it. Several things came to mind and this all loops back to, I don't know, my cancer, it all loops back to the communication issue. He just thought I had some perverse ritual that I wanted him to perform, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so he just automatically, like, you know, sit down, high-five, bow, high bow, and uh, sit pretty. You know, so He'd just run through everything for me. Right. So we, we weren't communicating. I stopped because I got sick and tired of asking him to sit for everything. I didn't get, him, get a dog to be a drill sergeant. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't fun. We weren't communicating. We weren't having a good time. And so if you, you know, look at the Nothing Alive is Free program from that perspective of we're in the Army now, you must sit, it has to be this strict regimented thing, you can't come up and ask for attention from me, only I can offer up attention to you because I'm alpha. What kind of relationship is that? Exactly. So I started encouraging, I, I did myself and found it worked much better and I started encouraging owners to start training five minutes a day is all it takes. And yep. teaching tricks or useful behaviors, not just obedience. How many obedience commands does a pet dog need to know? Not many. Right. No. You know, come, no. sit. You don't, they don't even need to know down. I mean, what purpose does down serve for the most part? Just come, sit, stay, wait, go to your bed. That's about it. So it's pretty limited communication. But once you get owners engaged in teaching tricks or some dog breeds, you know, are not, um, They just aren't suited for tricks, really. I mean, they're they're far too serious. So then I tell the owners, teach them something useful. You know, you've got a a dog that's a breed that was originally bred to pull carts or whatever. Go take a class, teach them to pull carts. Then they go around and haul your yard waste for you when you are cleaning up the leaves this fall. Mm -hmm. Anything like that. Something to build a relationship and communication and give that poor dog a job.
0: Right. It also mentally it exhausts them. Uh, I went to a client yesterday, and we did just a, a session on go to go to bed. By by the time the dog was done, the dog went to the bed and fell asleep.
2: <laughs> yep. Yep. They love to think. They love to do things, and yep. um, it's just so very important. I mean, they we come home exhausted, but they've been sleeping all day. Yeah. And then we yep. do our errands, and the dog is like, oh, what am I, chopped litter? Mm-hmm. They, they, you just want a dog to sit and be, we want them to be our companion. We want that company. It's all about us. Right, right. But they they have nothing to do. So if nothing else, even if you're doing a nothing in life, is free, and you're using tricks and making it fun, you're communicating. Your dog can come up and look at you and your body language changes when you ask a dog to do a trick as opposed to an obedience command. Yes. And so you and you ask them to do something and they're they're thinking they're at least working, you're communicating. That is better than you don't you know, you don't have to take them to classes every night and you know, have them, you know, you finish your job and then it's come, you know, time to come home and make your dog work. Just communicate with the dog. And yeah. nothing life is free in the context that we're talking about it now as opposed to the way it was originally proposed. I think fulfills that because it, it gives the owner a task. Say, I need to do this with my dog. And eventually it just becomes second nature that you ask the dog to do stuff because you like them to do that.
0: Yes, yes. I like
2: watching Pan bow. I like watching Pan jump through my arms. I I use a lot of the agility stuff that we learned. I can do that indoors because he's small. I'll pull out a kitchen chair, and I'll say, go around right, go around left.
0: And his Mm -hmm. eyes
2: dance, and he's happy.
0: And very simple to do. And and we're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. And when we return, um, I'm going to ask... you a little bit about some of the suggestions that are are given and what your thoughts are on that. So we will be right back after we hear a word from our sponsors.
1: Okay, class, grab your tuna flakes, biscuits, and bones. Teacher's Pet will be back in two shakes of a tail right after recess. <laughs> Got questions about your hound's health? Need the facts on Fido's fitness or food? You wanna unleash your pup's potential? Well, you've come to the right place with Win With Dogs. Here, we learn how easy it is to naturally improve the lives of our furry friends. So sit, stay, and get ready to Win With Dogs. With me, Raquel Wynn. Exercise, nutrition, interaction, and love make for one healthy, happy hound. Give yourself the gift of knowledge on demand every week, right here at Pet Life Radio with me, Raquel Wynn, and Wynn with Dogs.
0: Let's talk pets on PetLifeRadio.com.
1: Okay, class, hang up your collars and leashes. Teacher's pet is back in session. Now park yourselves on the floor. I said park, not bark. Okay, teacher's pet. Pay attention. There may be a quiz later.
0: Welcome back to Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. This is Pia Silvana, your host, and joining us today is Dr. Alice moon Finelli, a certified applied animal behaviorist, talking to us about dominance in dogs. Alice, before we went um, on our short little break, we were talking about the Nothing in Life is Free program, and some of the things that are incorporated in these programs. I'm not sure I believe in some of them. I do some of them. I don't. But I think that instead of it being a total, like sort of a ten-step program that's going to work, I think we have to take a look at the individual dog and say what what applies to this dog and what does this dog need. For example, um, you hear many times, never allow your dog to
2: go through the door ahead of you. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, for some dogs, if they're pushing and blasting past you and it's aggravating, sit and wait. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with dominance.
0: Eating Good. first
2: has nothing to do with dominance.
0: Yes, we, that is another one.
2: Feed Access to the dog Belgian furniture has nothing to do with dominance. If you can be in my bed and not bite me. Bring it on. Wolves sleep together in piles. Not that dogs are wolves, as we talked about last week. Yes, right. (laughs) um, (laughs) They're companions.
0: But but you also hear, um, make sure you eat first and the dog eats second.
2: So that I can have to train my dog to go to a mat because otherwise it's standing there staring at me because I inadvertently gave it a bit of food off my plate. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with dominance. It's all about manners and respect and what's convenient.
0: Okay. Walking, don't ever allow your dog. In
2: most cases. I should call it in most cases. As as you opened it up saying there, you have to look at each individual dog and each individual situation. And I'm just sort of reacting, shooting from the hip because I'm so tired of hearing about I'm not dominant because I feed my dog first.
0: (laughs) Right, right. My personal feeling is feed the dog first so the dog's not hungry and begging from the table. I mean, that's just, exactly. that, just like, I would rather have my dog have a full belly and then I'd meet, my husband and I can sit and relax and have our dinner.
2: Well, that's it, you know, and and then you're not looking after you finish your dinner and you're sitting there talking to your husband. It's not like, oh, now I've got to feed the dog. I mean, it's it's like a chore out of the way and the dog is happy, you're happy. Yeah. One thing off the evening list.
0: Yeah. I'll I'll throw out another one. I'll shoot you another one here. Never allow the dog to walk ahead of you.
2: Oh, gosh. I hope the walk-ahead police don't find me. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. My thing about that is when I take Pan for a walk, if I say you are to walk by my side because we are in an area where it's unsafe for him to go ahead, you will walk by my side because that's what I'm asking you to do. Mm -hmm. But then I say, okay. You go out and head and you go be a dog and you leave your pee mail and do whatever you want to do and romp around and smell. I, I mean, I, I, to have a dog on a constant heel is, once again, adding to the list of things that we talked about last week where we don't let a dog be a dog. Let him go. Right. Let him sniff. Let him pee. Let him run around. Nothing to do with dominance.
0: Yeah. And, and personally, I would prefer my dog in front of me because I don't know what he's doing behind me. If yeah. he's behind me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now now I've got to walk with my head turned. So Right. Yeah, but but I I think you you brought up a good point in all of these. It's it's um this is all about leadership and what our expectations are when we ask you to do something. For example, I always allow my dogs, you can go first when I head out to the car, I've got, you know, bundles of things with me and I'm carrying them and I tell my dogs just go, go move ahead. Now, it's easier. I, It's much easier. Now, if I do want them to wait, for example, if my mom's over, 90 years old, now I might want them to wait and back away from the door. But that's, again, leadership. So what is leadership about? Because I think people are confusing dominance and leadership.
2: Leadership, to my mind, is about respect and being leadership. If you think of a good boss – a good a good boss, or a good parent for that matter, because a lot of us think of our dogs as our children and whatnot, they teach you limits, and they teach you that when I say the buck stops here, it stops here because I have a good reason for it, normally because of safety or whatever. But they also allow you to grow and expand and be yourself. So, and what what the current dominant leadership, alpha, the resurgence of it, actually, concept. It's very restrictive. It smothers the dog. And that's not what you want. A good leader encourages growth and encourages communication and encourages interaction. But it also teaches, a good leader also teaches respect, such that if you say, I need you to do this now because, or you don't even have to give it because, then the dog, the employee, the child, whatever, says yes. Because they've been raised with such consistent communication and such fairness that they understand that if their leader says, this is inappropriate at this point in time, there must be a good reason for it. Yeah. And the only way to achieve that is through constant communication and positive communication. And and training offers such an opportunity for that. I I often encourage, um, mainly because Pam got kicked out of puppy class the second time around. (laughs) It's interesting living with a singing dog because they have no real concept of dominance and subordinates. That's not part of their social behavior at all. They don't avert their gaze. One of the things people find so unnerving about them is if you stare at a New Guinea Guinea singing dog, they stare right back at you. They don't look away. And it's not hostile, and they're just looking at you like, what? Uh Uh-huh. So they don't get along with other dogs. But anyway... When you're training and building this communication, some of these dogs, some individual dogs in some particular breeds, they just don't do well going from puppy socialization straight into obedience because the walking in a circle nose to butt with another dog is, they don't get it. That's for us. That's not for the dogs. It has no purpose for dogs whatsoever. So you skip them over into agility. And then the dog is learning to follow your commands, but it's doing something that's relevant to the dog, they like navigating these obstacles, they like moving mm-hmm. and so when i 'm thinking of communication and leadership there 's some forethought there in terms of why take my dog to obedience class when he 's not going to fare well there because he doesn 't have the self control he 's a lively, active, bright sort of pop let 's do something else, just like you would do with your children right, you, know, you want your kid to play violin, but the kid really wants to play soccer. You don't force, well, some people do, but, I mean, if you want a well-adjusted child, you don't force them to play violin, you go with the flow. That's good parenting, that's good leadership. That has nothing to do with being dominant. Excellent.
0: Another uh, concept, too, and tell me what you think about this also, is go back to owner-directed aggression. Growling, I'm going to say growling, snapping, or even biting over, the food bowl, um, resources, or when a dog has been interrupted when he's resting. People have said that the dog is dominating you.
2: No, the dog has probably been previously aggravated in those situations, and it's learned that being aggressive gets people to back off.
0: All right, so let's, let's go to the food bowl to start with. When people say, I can't go near the dog when he's eating, he growls at me. Uh, what may they have done wrong? Is that dominance? Is the dog dominating the owner? No, it's
2: not dominance and I tell clients i I dated this guy who was a music conductor in New York City. He took me out to a nice restaurant one night and he kept taking food off my plate and I stabbed <laughs> him with my fork. <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to order it, you should have ordered it. but this is my food. You gave it to me. You paid for it. Let me eat it and that's uh, one of the <laughs> biggest mistakes that i that I see. That owners and they've read it somewhere that you have to be able to go and put your hand in your dog's food bowl and you have to be able to take the bone away and you have to be able to yes you should be able to but depending on the dog's history it might not be appropriate to do it at this particular point in time. The dog Mm. may need time to relax about its food and the other thing that happens is that owners that really, really, really want to do the right thing, they're picking the bowl up, they're putting it down, they're throwing stuff in, they're taking stuff out, and the dog is going, good grief, I just wanted to eat. Right. It, you know, meals are supposed to be relaxing. Just give the dog a food and leave him alone.
0: So maybe people are trying, they're just overdoing things, too. Every time the dog has a bone, they're taking it away just to see if they can, or to, exactly. prove, to prove that they can. I've exactly. Heard that Exactly.
2: Yeah, they prove it. That's because I'm alpha. I took away his bone. Woohoo! Or Are you punch you something, you know.
0: And and sometimes the result of that, what you probably have heard as well, is um, the dog might give a low growl, and then they do take it away and put it away. So, what happens the next time?
2: The dog starts the, the, the resource guarding increases because food yep. is a high priority resource.
0: It probably can turn into like we talked about last week. Then a, then a fight. Roll the dog into an alpha roll because the dog, they think the dog is dominant over
2: them. It just it, it just escalates, mm. absolutely escalates. And then it, to make it even worse, with the old intermittent interaction reinforcement thing, some nights owners will want to play this "I am dominant, give me your food bowl" game. And other nights they won't, which adds to the confusion of the dog, which makes it even more intense when the owners start trying to. Take the bowl away. Just let it be. It will go away. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been there, done that.
0: So if we can just summarize, because I think the last two weeks have been quite interesting. Hopefully our audience has learned a lot, and they probably have many questions as well about it. Is there any place that people can go to read good literature um, that you can recommend off the top of your head? If you can't, that's fine because they can always go to Tufts' website. But if you were going to um, just give a few last sentences sort of to um, finalize in, in people's minds about the importance of not getting stuck into that alpha dominance mode, what would you say?
2: I'm still thinking about the literature thing because I yeah. can't remember what we thought. But what I, what I would summarize is you've got a dog to have as a companion. And you need to have fun with the dog. Let's stop picking fights with the dog. And you need to interact as you would with, and you can't maintain a friendship if you don't stay in touch. And so let's, let's not be sitting around watching television and looking up dominance on the Internet and finding ways to argue with our dog. Just go have a good time. And find out what you and your dog like to do together, and do that together. And many of these relationship problems will dissipate. Lovely, lovely. In, in terms I, of the literature, goodness, um, I don't have any of us published anything good about. I this yeah. So I'm, I'm not to think.
0: I'm not sure either. So what I'll have to do will have to come up with something, and I um, will we'll make sure I make sure I get it on Pet Life Radio for yeah, those authors who are- that
2: I like are Dr. Sophia Yin. Uh, Dr. Patricia McConnell, doctors uh, Hetz and Estep, um those would all be very reliable sources of information, and I'm sure I'm leaving other people out, but I know that they've written quite a bit of literature for the for the public that would be helpful, that would set you in the right frame of mind, give you the right perspective. And then just go have a relationship.
0: Excellent. Because it'll be
2: overall too soon.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. Next week, everyone, um, make sure that you sign in for training session number eight. And I'm not going to tell you what that is about at this time. So you're going to have to make sure you check in. Um, I'd like to thank Dr. Moon for joining us. And hopefully she's cleared up some of the myths for you. Also, special thanks to our producers, as always, for making the show happen. If you'd like a transcript of the show or any other shows on Pet Life Radio Network, please go to PetLifeRadio.com and click on Teacher's Pet. Also, if you have any questions, comments, ideas for the show, which I have received, and I promise you I will make sure that I do a section on that, please email me at Pia at PetLifeRadio.com. So until next time, this is Pia signing off.
1: Thank you, Alice, and thank you for your interest in Pet Life Radio. Schools in session on Pet Life Radio with Teacher's Pet. Learn how to communicate with your pet, train your pet, and see the world from your pet's point of view. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Teacher's Pet, only on PetLifeRadio.com.